This is a Soul Fire production. Are you ready to enhance your sexual, erotic, and relational intelligence? Welcome to Higher Sex, where we take sex education to the next level. Come here to get curious about sex and cultivate acceptance, deep love, and intimacy. No topic is too hot to handle. As a psychotherapist and sexologist, Kelly playfully leads listeners through worlds of informative and actionable sex education, personal stories from her inspirational guests, and leading edge research from trusted experts. Higher sex is scandalous and explorative, leaving you wanting more. Let's keep this conversation going. Subscribe today so you don't miss out on these hot new episodes each week. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Higher Sex. I am thrilled to introduce to you Tammy Benwell. She is an incredible friend and colleague, and we work together at Bliss Counseling and Psychotherapy in Uptown Waterloo. She's an individual and relationship therapist and a master's levels registered social worker, and she has training in sex therapy, of course. So we start off this episode talking about some of the communication challenges and traps that partners can get into within the relationship. So 67% of first marriages tend to end up in divorce because couples and partners don't really realize the patterns of communication that they're in is damaging to the relationship as well as they lack effective tools for change. And then 50% of divorce happens within the first seven years. And fortunately, people tend to ignore the warning signs and wait too long for help, which can foster and, and result in deeper resentment in the long run. So we talk about the benefits of therapy when the best time to get into relationship therapy is, some of the traps that partners tend to fall into, as well as what are some fun, creative ways to nurture and prioritize your relationships so it can be strengthened over time. So I hope that you enjoy this show. I hope that you get a lot out of it. And I know, I 100% know you are going to love Tammy just as much as I do. Welcome to the show, Tammy. I'm so excited to have you on. Oh, thanks, Kelly. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, so Tammy, we work together. Uh, she is a friend and very close colleague, and she is an incredible individual and relationship therapist and does sex therapy as well. But I often refer a ton of couples to her because she is a sh very strong couples therapist. So I want to start off by saying, as we look at some of the research and the statistics, 50% of all divorces tend to happen within the first seven years. And unfortunately, couples tend to ignore the warning signs and wait way too long before they work on the repair or trying to figure out what some of these unhealthy dynamics or patterns are. So tell me about your experience, Tammy, with couples work and why you feel like sometimes people wait too long or when do you feel like it's the best time for people to enter therapy? That, that's a great um, statistic and great question, Kel. You know what? Sometimes I feel like people really wait until conflict hits and then they seek therapy. Where I find it the most helpful is to actually not wait and to even do it along the way. Some maintenance work, check-ins. You know, a lot of times couples fall into unhealthy patterns and they think, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let this go, or I'm not going to uh, address some of these issues and kind of hope that they'll get better. And I think sometimes too, when we get married, we hope that 
the person will change over time, that things will get better the longer we're together. And uh, what we don't look into is, you know, a lot of the things that we're bringing to the relationship that even happened prior. Yeah, I agree. So it's from what I'm hearing you say, though, it's like people get complacent or they are holding on to a potential of what the relationship could look like, or they're even unwilling to look at maybe some of their own wounds and projections of what they might be putting onto their partner or unrealistic expectations. So therapy could be a great way to really unpack and look at some of the things and the dynamics and see where you can each take accountability and ownership to strengthen and collaborate and become more aligned within your relationship. Yes, completely. And um, being open to uh, learning how to have appropriate conversations using I statements versus you statements, how to establish boundaries even within your own intimate relationship, Um, having conversations about sex and what our expectations are rather than going into the relationship and again, making assumptions about what you think is going to happen or, you know, I'm married now, so intimacy should be a common part of our relationship, but there's a lot of changes that can happen, childbirth, loss of job, loss of parent. And so, you know, all of those things are impacting the relationship as well as all of the modeling that you received to educate you on relationships, right? How in your home did you talk about sex? How in your home was conflict addressed? How were feelings and emotions processed? Who did you go to for those things? Um, And then because sometimes, again, we walk into these relationships and we think our partner is going to do all of those things for us. And so the expectations are are quite high. And it's, it's so easy to get caught up in that, you know, first year and a half phase where everything feels the great. Honeymoon phase where the like honeymoon. the love glasses on can do no wrong. Yeah. And and everything feels great and wonderful. And we all want that feeling to continue. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we have to put in place and work towards. You know, one of my favorite sayings is when people say, well, relationships shouldn't be that hard. And I often think actually it's the complete opposite they require work, they require effort. And a lot of times we recognize that, especially, I mean, if, if you think about having a child and, you know, kids can be quite demanding and take a lot of your time and attention. And so again, we don't talk about how that might impact our relationship and how are we going to manage those things. As a collaborative team. Yes. Yeah. Versus just kind of maybe falling to your defaults, as you were saying, Um, maybe someone is more emotional or is comfortable expressing their emotions and being assertive, whereas maybe someone's more passive and isn't comfortable talking about their emotions. So it can cause discord within the relationship. So it's like, how are we going to deal with challenges and life transitions? As you were saying before, what if if there is a job loss or having a baby or a sick parent or all these different things, because you've picked you've selected a life partner potentially. What are the strategies to get through life when things do get hard? Especially if maybe some of your needs aren't going to be met for a little while because something else is the priority at that time. Yeah. 
Yeah, completely. And a lot of times the way we view those situations, a lot of people will come in, especially in in couples therapy and say, well, I don't like conflict. And, you know, I often remind them it isn't about the conflict. Like sometimes we have to watch uh, the wording that we use because as soon as we think that something could be, could cause conflict, we want to avoid it. And yet we know that intimacy and connection is built on being vulnerable and opening up. And so when we think, oh, I I don't want to say this or I don't want to bring this up because it's going to cause conflict, what we're doing is we're actually not allowing the relationship to grow. And get to that deeper place of vulnerability and intimacy, which is where some of the best sex can happen in your life because you're not at this goal-oriented performance level sex about just getting off and having a bit of fun. I mean, that that's not to say that that's a bad kind of sex, but to keep it sustainable and passionate and keep your desire alive in a longer-term relationship, you do need to drop into this deeper space where you can be more honest about your wants and needs and what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And I guess that I'm hearing you draw a parallel like that. That's just as important outside of the bedroom as it is inside of the bedroom, right? Because otherwise your partner is not a mind reader. Completely. And, you know, in, in Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, right? She talks about the context. She talks about our stress levels. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we can look at the external stresses. We can see that, you know, how somebody's job or a bad day at work might impact their stress level. But sometimes we don't go deeper into some of the attachment wounds or who did we turn to when we were feeling upset or what did conflict mean in our family? Those are the things that can shut down sex and intimacy and desire and all of those things. And so how do we, I like that Emily brought that to the to the table in her book, but sometimes I think people don't even realize like how deep those wounds can actually be. Right. And then it sounds like, well, I think even I know from experience that typically, well, I love that therapy is becoming more mainstream and normalized, like you're taking care of your mental health, just like going to the gym is taking care of your physical health. And I love how you were saying you don't need to be in crisis to get the benefits out of therapy. But even if people are coming into our offices and saying, you know, I'm just not feeling desire. I love my partner. I'm attracted to my partner. We have a great life together, but I just don't feel this desire for sex. And it's starting to go on a little bit too long and become a little bit too challenging where there's avoidance and everything else. Like that is a good, healthy time to come into therapy where you can really do some great, meaningful work because you're you're at a place where you're wanting, you have that buy-in where you're, you're wanting to look at things, you're motivated, you want to optimize and take your relationship. And you also want to desire sex again too, right? Yeah. Well, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, sometimes two couples will wait years they won't be intimate or um, have intercourse for years before they pursue therapy. And, you know, that, that again, continues to cause that divide in the relationship, that disconnection. Um, we all need attachment people in our lives. We all need intimacy to what level can be different for all of us and what that looks like. But again, if we're scared to even have those conversations, it makes it 
really challenging to kind of bridge that gap and bring people back together. And so I like, yeah, I agree with you. It's like, you know, as soon as you start to have some of those feelings and you're not sure of them, like, why am I feeling this way? I love my partner. I, I, I'm still attracted to them, but I don't really desire sex. What is that about? Let's explore that. Let's dig a little deeper and figure out what are some of the underlying issues rather than just thinking it's going to go away right? or it's going to get better with time. When really it could get worse because you aren't getting creative or trying to understand your sexuality or or those underlying issues that could be causing barriers or breaks within your ability to feel desire. To your point, if you go on years, you know, for some people, if maybe you're asexual, that's okay. But for others, it could cause feelings of rejection. And then it could move into that challenging place where it's harder to come back from and recover from because then there's just a lot of repair work and rebuilding trust that needs to be done. And I know you and I um, have done training and we are fans of Gottman as well. And they talk about those four horsemen of apocalypse where they did that study. I don't, you probably know know more about it than me, but where they could look at partners and within the first little while they could determine who was going to remain together and versus who was going to split because they could and what were the four i think there's criticism contempt defensiveness and stonewalling and stonewalling exactly so it's like how do you get into the room maybe before you're in those places or before those have become really deep yes and and um you know i'm glad that you mentioned those big four apocalypses right because honestly contempt is your worst one when you are critical of your partner and you're in a space where you're comparing them um, or maybe even fantasizing about somebody else again not unusual or unhealthy however it's what you do with that information that matters and a lot of times again we don't talk about the fact that it's normal in couple relationships to feel attracted sometimes to somebody else but that doesn't mean we act on it Right. And how do we how do we repair it? Because then if we get into this place where we're comparing our partner to the fantasy person, it can and the grass is a greener on the other side and it's yeah. never gonna be good with you or you're never yeah. gonna meet my needs and holding them to an unrealistic expectation. Oh, if that's the narrative that's playing over and over in your exactly. mind. Well, and I'm so glad you also brought up trust too, because trust is a huge component. And we think a lot about trust when we talk about infidelity, right? So yeah. somebody having an affair. But there is betrayals of trust that happen in couples' relationships all the way through their relationship. It can be, um, I said I'm going to be home for dinner at 6 o'clock and I wasn't home and I didn't call you or let you know what was happening. That's a betrayal of trust. And so over time, those small betrayals or, you know, if sometimes if one partner declines intimacy and the other person feels rejected and then they get angry or annoyed or frustrated or shut down. You know, those are betrayals of trust. Like the stonewalling, right? Yeah. And so all of those 
parts are, are, you know, moving at all times Mm -hmm. in the relationship and we don't discuss them. We don't talk about them. We don't bring them up because sometimes we weren't taught to, sometimes we're scared to, sometimes we hope and think it'll pass. And, you know, I, I often will tell my couples too, a lot of times after you've been together for a long time, you're having a conversation, but a lot of times you're busy doing something else. So you're distracted and you're not even really fully present or being curious about what what is going on for you and for your partner and then what is taking shape within the dynamic within your relationship. Because you're hitting on something there too where you talked about conflict before where some people might avoid it altogether and then that's not giving a chance to build deeper intimacy and and more mutual understanding of one another and asking for what your needs and evolve, allowing that agility and flexibility to evolve within the relationship. Like you said, tendencies maybe through your upbringing or social conditioning or past relationships where if someone brings something up to you or the other way around and you're saying, you know, I'd actually really like this or when you do this, it makes me feel this or they're trying to engage in a a more of a challenging conversation and then the other person becomes defensive right away. Like, how dare you say that? You're hurting my feelings. You misinterpreted me. So right away, that can be very dismissive and unvalidating for the person who's taking your risk to bring something to the table where the defensiveness part where they can drop into that victimization to war off that perceived attack from the person when really it's not an attack. It, they're trying to engage in a conversation. As the, as the Gottmans would say, that's a bid for connection, right? Mm. I'm looking for your attention. I want to share something with you. Maybe I'm trying to be vulnerable. Maybe I'm trying to open the door. And then either I'm met with defensiveness or I'm met with stonewalling and then I shut down. Right. So then the, and it just becomes this vicious cycle rather than, you know, using what Gottman calls attunement, right? And, mm-hmm. and really kind of turning towards your partner, having some tolerance, trying to understand it and see it from the other person's perspective rather than only your own, right? Sometimes we, I, I say we need to take a step back and we need to say, you know, what is my partner actually trying to tell me in this moment rather than my immediate response, which is a lot of times I'm going to defend myself. Right. What, what, what do I need to hear? And so sometimes I say to couples, you know what, take that 15 to 20 minutes every day and just sit down in engaged dialogue where you're not in the kitchen doing something else. You're not folding the laundry. Like you're really like you were just, saying before distracted. Yeah. And, and, and apply some level of compassion and empathy towards mm. your partner. Right. Um, sometimes I think we think our partners are doing something to punish us. It's more intentional, right? Um, Or they don't understand us or what I was trying to do. Yes. Yes. And so that has a significant impact all throughout the relationship, right? And a lot of times will lead to that pulling away. We don't talk anymore. We're not friends. I don't feel like my partner has my back. Right. Or holds me in esteem and will think that what I'm trying to bring forth is to, like you said, that bid to be closer, mm-hmm. to nurture intimacy or to share something so you can evolve and become a stronger unit. Like it can feel hurtful to even think like you think I'm sharing this to hurt you when really I'm trying to share my feelings and my experience. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, and 
then we stop sometimes being vulnerable. And, and so we have to really be cautious of when we're in that place where it's like, I don't even want to share anymore. That to me is always like a red flag. And that's why I say sometimes, you know, couples counseling, I know a lot of times everybody waits until they feel that significant disconnect, but it's, if you can invite couples counseling in, even just as you mentioned, you know, we take care of our physical health, maybe we go on walks or go to the gym or whatever we do for our own physical health, the same in our intimate relationships and take that responsibility. And, you know, sometimes I I will ask couples about emotional safety, like how emotionally safe and how much do you trust your partner? Uh, do Do you trust that they would have your back if something happened? And those are important pieces. And especially if we're going to have difficult conversations and, you know, some of the most difficult conversations are around, you know, things like, like sex, things like money. How are we raising our children, right? What are, how are we going to manage our differences about these topics? That are very emotionally charged and values-based too, right? Yes, completely values-based. And, you know, again, neither person has to be right or wrong. It's just a, a matter of seeing differences. And that's, and I love that you're saying that because I think as you were talking, that was what was playing out in my mind was, you know, if your partner's bringing something to you, it's not that they need you to be like, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. That's not what it's about. It's about, you know, this is your experience with the situation and this is my experience with the situation. And yes. two truths can be true at the same time. Exactly. But can you have empathy and compassion and enough curiosity and attunement, like you were saying, to really understand each other's experience within the same experience? Exactly. And I always say to my couples, when you don't know what to say, ask a question. Because Ooh, I love that. asking a question at least allows you to not go silent. You're digging a little deeper. So it actually opens up the door to more dialogue. So when you don't know what to say, when you're not sure how to proceed, ask your partner a question, find out where they're coming from. You know, sometimes it becomes this competition about right and wrong. And the one thing I always say to my couples is, here's the most wonderful thing about being in a relationship. You absolutely never have to agree. And they always look at me like I'm a little bit crazy. What what are you saying? You're a couple therapist. (laughs) Because the difference is you have to just try to understand how your partner sees it rather than thinking we have to be on the same page with everything yeah with everything and it's it's it, you know these were messages that that we've received sometimes um you know my favorite is when people come to me and they say oh we never fight and i'm always like oh that's a red flag oh. <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> what's that like <laughs> so who doesn't have an opinion in this relationship right right or, who or who's not right. right like who's not bringing things up to avoid conflict or because they don't want to hurt the other person's feelings or you're right. Who's not showing up? Who's not showing up? Who's scared to be present in the room for whatever reasons they have, we can explore that. But, you know, it's not that you have to have massive blowout fights. It's that there are definitely rules to fighting, name calling, no put downs, uh, obviously no physical abuse. And so, you know, a lot of what we're talking about this doesn't include abusive situations because that's a whole other gamut of dealing with relationships. But right, right. That's like, we're not talking about that. 
Like yes. just so everyone is clear, like we're not saying if you yes. are threat, if you are worried for your safety, that's different. Exactly. And so, but there are fair fighting rules that you can work on and how you do that and how you communicate that you're frustrated, you're upset, you're angry. And we talk a lot about the distancer and the pursuer, right? Yes. And um, it's interesting because the the pursuer is the one who's like, let's talk, let's solve let's resolve this now. I don't want to sit in this uncomfortable place where we're not on the same page. Exactly. And the distancer is like, oh my gosh, I can't do this now. I need space. Give me time. Give me space. Um, and so sometimes we actually look at, at the distancer as the one who is uh, not showing up in the and relationship. Stepping away. Yep. Yeah. And that's not true. It's learning to manage those dynamics um, because both parties are doing what they feel that they need. And sometimes it can be a pattern that they've established early on, whether, you know, they were neglected or abused. And so for them, it's- Or they don't talk about emotions in their family. And this feels too flooded, too activated, too overwhelming, where they need to regulate in order to be able to have a dialogue about it. Whereas like maybe you grew up in a very chaotic or, you know, louder family, and this isn't off-putting for you too. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes the pursuer needs to just learn some soothing skills and to stop soothing, right? And to learn how to meet sometimes their own emotional needs. Versus the other person, because you're trying to pursue the other person in order to regulate and resolve, whereas maybe you need to sit in that uncomfortability and, like you said, practice some self-soothing exercises and bring yourself down versus only going to feel better once you resolve the conflict. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, for the distancer, I sometimes will say, you know what, let's put a timeline on it. You need space, you need time and space. So what is your timeline like? What gives you that time to to calm down, to kind of process your thoughts so that you can come back into the room and be present in the dialogue? And so, you know, some like, let's put a timeline on it. Let's just not leave it open-ended. Because that also manages the, the pursuer's expectations too. Like, okay, they're going to take four hours or they're going to take, they're going to sleep on it and they're going to approach me the next day versus maybe if the pursuer is more of an anxious attachment style and it, it does cause more upset and more irregulation for them than having that level of, okay, I need some space. Let let me sleep on it. I'll talk to you tomorrow can give them that sense of comfort that they, where they can then focus on regulating. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you brought up the attachment styles. And so we look sometimes at, uh, at attachment. And again, Emily Nagoski talks about attachment in her book, Come As You Are, which is probably one of my favorite books now. I do. Yeah. I love it. And so, you know, our attachment styles, how we were responded to as we were children, whether our emotions were dismissed, whether we didn't talk about things in our family. A lot of times, even in couples, it's like, well, my parents were great. And it's never about whether or not your parents were great or not great. It's not about blaming or shaming. It's about understanding because I think everybody does the best that they can at the time with the information that they have. But you know what, the more we learn, the better that we can be in our relationships. And a lot of times we haven't had healthy modeling about emotions. We haven't had dialogue about who we can go to, or sometimes, you know, our parents may have been too busy trying to provide, provide. or maybe you had one sibling that required more attention or, or maybe, you know, if you hurt yourself, they were like, don't cry, don't cry. And they wanted to 
quickly, you know, not see you in pain, but really didn't help you process those feelings about how that was for you. Right. So again, it doesn't mean that they were malicious or bad parents, but it's how did their parenting style shape you and affect you? Exactly. Well, and I, I love that you brought up pain because I think we're pain avoiders, right? We don't like to sit in the discomfort of pain and by pain, I don't just mean physical, I mean emotional pain, right? We want to get out of that. It feels uncomfortable. Nobody likes the, the, you know, having when they, they feel the need to cry or when they're frustrated or when they're angry. Um, and so sometimes we want to just jump and skip to the next emotion that feels a little bit better or, you know, put on our masks and pretend like we've got it all together. But sometimes we need to have those emotions. We need to allow them. We need to process them and be vulnerable with even our partners so that they understand a little bit more of what's been happening for us or what we've gone through or what our experience has been. So they can understand you even on that deeper level too, where maybe it's not so personal, like you're abandoning me while I'm trying to have a conversation. You you have the context to who they are as people and how they came to be, right? And then you're working on creating, you know, you're co-creating a relationship where you're both stretching yourselves, meaning maybe for the pursuer distancer, since we're talking about that, for the distancer might prefer 48 hours of no talking, but maybe they'll stretch themselves and keep it to 12 or 24 hours. Whereas the pursuer might want it resolved right then, but maybe they can stretch themselves to four to 12 hours as well. So it's more about like, where can you stretch yourselves to accommodate the relationship, but while still meeting your own needs? Yes, completely. And, and, you know, for the distancer, even learning how to uh, maybe schedule time for emotional connection and contact contact outside of any kind of upset or conflict, if you want to call it that, right? So even learning for the distancer who typically wants to self-soothe and isn't, is is scared to be a bit vulnerable, just scheduling time to say, hey, this is going to be my time where I'm going to be vulnerable. Maybe I share a story or I share something um, and then, and, and rather than waiting until it's an intense emotional time. Right. And where there's maybe a little bit more upset involved versus having more sharing vulnerabilities as well. And, you know, I was reading an article recently about um, how how do you teach people to do this, especially when it wasn't modeled for them in families. And, you know, one good way that you can do this is even practicing. So what you see in shows or movies, if, if you like how people are reacting and you know that you haven't had that style of reaction in the past, but you 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 want to give that to your partner you can practice it because really how how you learned to do what you do is what was modeled for you so yeah so it's just learning a new skill right and and tapping into some emotional language that a lot of us haven't been given and therapy is a great place to do that too to practice a new skill because even with individual therapy you can look through the therapeutic alliance can learn to take risks and yes. form and develop a secure attached relationship style which could set you up for success in other relationships if you've been struggling to potentially do that outside of the therapeutic context yeah, completely. And, and you know, let's bring it all back around. All of this then creates um, healthier connection, which creates healthier intimacy, which creates healthier conversations about sex, 
healthier conversations about whatever it is that we're struggling with, that it feels foreign, that feels scary, that we don't want to go into. And, um, you know, I know sometimes for couples, when you think about prioritizing things, a lot of times sex is the one thing that a lot of couples don't prioritize. Right, right. Right. It's like because it's not a need, it's not like food and sleep. Oxygen. Yeah, for survival. Right. Um, That's why she says it's not a drive. Yes. Right. That's right. Yes. So it's something like sometimes we just need to make it a priority. Sometimes we need to schedule it and it doesn't necessarily carve out space for that in your life, carve out space for your partner. If any, any, anybody who's raising kids know that if your kids were, you know, begging you for time and attention at some point, you would eventually give it. You may have to say, I need another hour to finish work or whatever, but you would always come back to it. A lot of times I don't feel like couples do that. They say, you know what? I'm just too tired. Everything else sucked my energy. And so I have nothing left for you. And then the relationship gets the leftovers, which could be more irritability and, you know, annoyance and that sort of thing. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, sometimes one partner needs more physical touch. Because I know we've talked about the love languages too. So it's really about if you appreciate quality time, or maybe your partner likes more physical touch or needs more words of affirmation or acts of service or gifts or whatever it is, like, can you pay attention to surprise and delight your partner in even small ways to nourish the relationship? Because that's something that you're just naturally good at in all your relationships, Sammy, is building this culture of a appreciation and letting people know that you're grateful for them and thankful for them and really appreciate them. So can we round this out with like, what are some ways? And one thing that you said that always stuck with me is so many, so often people will divide and conquer. And that's okay if the goal is to then have more time for each other. But if you know that you're just going to end up filling that time with other things where you're not together, run the errands together, go do it together. Try to find different ways to get things done so you're at least spending that time together nurturing, nurturing your relationships. So what would you say your biggest suggestions are for building that culture of appreciation within your relationship and finding ways, creative ways to nurture the relationship? Well, I think that's that's a great question. And I mean, you know, a lot of times most couples will go to those date nights, right? And yes, date nights are important. I do not want to knock them. But um, as you said, it's it's sometimes getting in the car and going to the grocery store together and having that five to 10 minutes. You know, I know even with my partner, uh, one of the things that was modeled in his family was there was always a lot of fighting. So the one thing I learned was to reassure him and to let him know, hey, even though we're upset with each other, I love you. Like I can still love you and we can be upset. And I know that has meant the world to him. And so sometimes Mm. it's, it's even just finding those things about our partner that you know, soothes them or makes them know that it's okay for us to not- still on the same team. We're still on the same team. Or, you know what, I'm going to, I need some time and space to think about this, but because I want, I want to have your back. I want to be there for you. And yes, building on spending some time together, doing things that, you know, sometimes people will say, especially after they've been married, we don't share any common interests. Well, 
um, you're not necessarily going to share common interests. You create some common interests. Find some things that you enjoy doing together. Um, I have no doubt that if you took time to figure that out, you could. You know, one thing that my partner and I uh, do sometimes just for fun, one of our dreams is to have a cottage. It's not like we're buying a cottage tomorrow, but we'll look online just at like, oh, look at this cottage. Dream together. Dream together. Dream together. You know, I always say when when we start a relationship, we want to know everything. We want to learn everything about the person. What's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? And we think uh, over time that we know the person. And so we stop trying to know them. And so for me, it's like, keep trying to learn about your partner. Use some date night questions. You know, find some things. I actually give my couples date night questions. I'm like, if you feel like you have nothing to talk about, I'm going... I want you to pick a question a night. I give them a list of a hundred questions. Oh, I love and that. I want you to pick a question a night to sit with each other for that 15 to 20 minutes and ask. Yeah, if you yeah. want to watch a show after that, that's fine. But let's spend a few minutes just engaging and reconnecting and, and learning and learn being curious with one be another. Curious, be playful. Like yeah. we get a little boring. Yeah, we all do. Of course we do, especially now. Like there isn't much going on, right? So what can you do? And just be, and from the biggest takeaway I'm hearing is really be open, be curious, seek to understand, hold each other in esteem, take a step back when you need to, to regulate um, versus just quickly responding or reacting or feeling attacked to really try to look at that relationship as a third and how you can nurture that. Yes. It being you versus me and working as a collaborative team and then taking some time to really strengthen that intimacy and trust. So then you have more resilience for those challenging times. Yes. Think of it as your, your bank account, right? So in that love bank, yeah, you're like depositing, depositing, and there's a lot of aspects that are involved so that when you have to withdraw, you're not running a deficit. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again, Tammy. I just love chatting with you. We actually tried to record this before, but we talked way too much (laughs) and couldn't record it. Yeah. Cause we have so much fun. So I'm glad I got to spend extra time with you this week. I'm going to leave your contact information in the show notes. If you are fortunate enough to work with Tammy, be able to reach out to her, even if she's your date night for maybe a couple's check-in or tune-up. I know everyone loves working with you and I know I love working with you. So thank you again for sharing your wisdom on the show. Uh, Thanks for having me, Kel. So much fun. Yeah. 